Uh, it's great to be with you guys this morning. I'm wearing these headphones. You can you can tell uh, they're noise canceling headphones. Can you guys hear me okay? I feel like I'm shouting. Am I shouting? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. It's hard to control because I can't. I hear my breathing really clear. I can't hear anything you guys are saying or you know. It's just they work really really well. In fact, these aren't just like headphones that have noise canceling properties. These are actually uh, like construction earmuffs that you would use if you were operating a chainsaw or something like that. And they happen to have a Bluetooth capability. So while I'm on the job or working on my jackhammer, I can pipe music in. Uh, they, they work so well. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do the message the whole time like this. It's going to be really, really distracting. Let me take these off. Oh my goodness. Wow, I hear so much more. Uh, I wanted to wear these because the headphones, and the noise-canceling headphones especially, is an image that I wanted to use for this sermon series that we're going to start today, studying through the book of Amos. You can see them up here on the graphic. Uh, they kind of have a couple different functions. One is you can cancel out the stuff you don't want to hear with these things. You can put these on and feel like, wow, I'm at peace. Anything that's going on around me, I don't have to pay attention to because these just block it right out. And like I said, the second function that these particular headphones or any normal pair of headphones has is that you can put something specifically directly into your brain. If you don't like what people are talking about in the room, or if you're on a, a car ride or in a public place and you don't like the music that's being chosen for everyone to enjoy together, you can say, not for me, but don't worry, I got my own. This is what I want to hear. So the headphones, they block out sounds that we don't want, and they invite us to specifically direct our attention to the noises and the sounds that we do want to hear. It's a very appropriate image for a series that's called feedback. And I want to talk about that word feedback here for just a minute. Uh, feedback has a couple of different meanings as well. The first meaning I want us to think about for the word feedback is it's that noise that comes out of a speaker that we don't like most of the time. Uh, when a guitar amplifier or, or one of our speakers here, the microphone gets too close, you guys have experienced that. We get that screeching sound. And, and there's, trust me, there have been times in our worship service where we've accidentally had feedback noises. And your, your guys' faces when that happens are, is burned into my memory because it's just so pained. I see everybody just like they're immediately offended. And your hands go over your ears like this. No, 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 no. And I understand that for, for a lot of us, especially those of us who, who have hearing aids uh, or sensitive hearing, like that really, really hurts us. And it's painful. But your faces are just like, no, I shouldn't have to put up with this. It's terrible. We try to avoid feedback in worship service of that kind whenever we can, but you know, sometimes it still gets through. The second definition of feedback is like constructive criticism. Maybe you ever asked somebody, hey, uh, can I give you some, some feedback on something that you're doing? Uh, I discovered in my experiences with people that some folks have to be ready to receive feedback sometimes. It's gotten to the point where I don't just come up and say, hey, let me, let me give you a few tips from the old Jacob brain here. Instead, I want to say, hey, are you in a place to receive some constructive and maybe even a little critical feedback? Because if someone has had a horrible day and they just like got one thing dumped on their plate after another, sometimes the answer is no. Like, I want to hear what you have to say, but today I really just can't. 
kind of have to be in a place to be willing to receive feedback that may require something of you. Now there's two definitions of feedback, the unwanted noise and the constructive criticism. They both apply, as we'll see as we study the book of Amos. The book of Amos is about God sending a man named Amos to give Israel some constructive criticism. And what happens is they treat it like unwanted noise. They want to cancel it out and, and say, I shouldn't have to deal with this. I shouldn't have to put up with this kind of thing. I, when I would hear God talk, when I hear the prophets of God speak, I, I expect to hear something a little bit more affirming, something a little bit more positive. And I got to say that as we start this study, because you guys might be expecting something real positive. We're going to be hearing what God says to God's people, but in the book of Amos, it's pretty negative. God has some things to say that might be hard for us to hear. When we hear some of the things that God tells his people through Amos, it may sound like that unwanted noise to us. We may not like it. We're going to hear God tell his beloved people things like, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. Okay, <laughs> we'll have to look at that in context and hopefully there's more to that story. We're also going to hear God say things like, On the day that I punish Israel from, for her sins, I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished. And this kind of stuff might be hard for us to hear. But I want to encourage us as we listen for God's voice. I want us to try to see it as that second kind of feedback, the constructive criticism. And I hope that it causes us to wonder things like, what did Israel do, or maybe fail to do, that warranted this kind of response from the Lord? This may seem different than our understanding of God. If we're supposed to understand God as God describes himself in the Old Testament as slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, then can we assume that the things that Israel have done are maybe not a first offense? That maybe this is kind of a last straw that is giving God this reaction to say, all right, you know what? There's going to be some consequences for some of the missteps that you, my people, have made. I hope so. I hope that we can hear it that way. But more so than just understanding this story correctly, I hope that we can then go and ask ourselves some questions like, hmm, is it possible that God might have some feedback for us as his people today? And are we in a place where we can hear it? Are we ready? Are we willing to receive God's word, even if it might be critical of what we're doing or what we're not doing? So let's jump in, study Amos a little bit. Amos was uh, just some guy. <laughs> he's one of the minor prophets, and he's in the section of the Old Testament called the minor prophets. So Amos is one of the prophets, but he was not a professional prophet, as we will see. He was a shepherd. And uh, he liked to hang out with trees. He liked to. He was a dresser of sycamore fig trees. We'll read. And this is during the time uh, of the monarchy, but it's not going so well. This is around the eighth century BC. It's about 150 years past King David, and about 700 years before Jesus. It's a time when Israel's kind of success is, is going down. Their future is, is tenuous. They've made some missteps. It's kind of like the beginning of the end for Israel. This is the time that Amos was sent up north to go, and God says, hey, you're some guy. I want you to go and give my people a little bit of feedback. We're going to focus on the first two chapters of Amos this morning. And as you read through them, you'll find that they're just kind of a series of indictments 
against Israel's neighbors. He, God names some of the cities surrounding Israel, and he says, hey, this is what you've done that offends me, and this is what's going to be your punishment. As you read through each of the sections, you'll see this formula. It says something like, for three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. That happens again and again. He changes the names of the cities. For three sins of Gaza down in the south, even for four, I will not relent. Let's take a look at one. Uh, Amos chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says, This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Tyre, the city up in the north, even for four, I will not relent. Because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood, so I will send fire on the walls of Tyre that will consume her fortresses. And so far, you might guess Israel is kind of happy about this message. <laughs> this is a pretty good message to get from God. Uh, you are my people and all of my neighbors are disappointing, so I'm going to punish them. Okay, great. Now we don't have to conquer them ourselves. God's just going to hand them over to us. That's what you get when you cross God. Sorry, maybe you guys should have known better. Maybe God's going to flex his muscles a little bit. If you look at a map of Israel and what was going on in the time, you see some of these cities that are named. They're, they're, they kind of start broadly, like uh, for three sins of Damascus, for three sins of Tyre. And then as they continue to name cities, you realize these cities get closer and closer. They're Israel's closer neighbors to the point where God eventually name checks Judah. This is Israel's uh, southern counterpart. We'll talk about this more next week, but this, the kingdom of Israel had split a few generations back, and now they're kind of like cross-town rivals. So this is like mom coming in and yelling at your older brother, and you're standing behind her going, <laughs> you got in trouble. Let him have it, mom. Busted. Here's what God says. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord. They have not kept his decrees. Because they've been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. Because of this, I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. Okay. God's not happy with what's going on in this region. And Amos is actually from Judah, and he brings this message to a city in Bethel, called in the north called Bethel. He's in Israel, and Israel's feeling pretty good so far. But if they're paying attention, they see that these indictments are getting closer and closer to home. So what comes next? You're next, but they don't see it. So they have no idea what God is about to say, and they're completely surprised when this message comes through. Amos chapter 2, starting in verse 6. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, you guys, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, in the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. And God takes a minute to reminisce about the history. Like, shouldn't you guys have known better? Didn't I take care of you? He says this, Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them, though they were as tall as the cedars and as strong as the oaks. I destroyed their fruit above and their roots below. I brought you up out of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness, and I gave you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets from among your children and Nazarites from among your youths. Is this not true? 
people of Israel, declares the Lord, but you made the Nazarites drink wine, something that they vowed not to do. And you commanded the prophets not to prophesy, something that a prophet is supposed to do. So God says, now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. And the swift will not escape, the strong will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground, the fleet-footed soldier will not get away, and the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest of warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. I warned you, right? Kind of hard to hear. This is a different side of God that we don't think about very often. But God is essentially telling his people, you, of all people, you should have known better. You were my people, and I rescued you. Remember, he rehearses their history. I fought for you. I defended you. I delivered you. I held up my end of the agreement. And you guys haven't. You aren't. And you haven't done so for a long time now. If you study this chapter, it's interesting that the indictment against Judah was for disobeying the law of God. Judah knew God's will as well, and then they failed to do it. You went after foreign gods, and you disobeyed the Lord, so God's going to send fire on your city. But when he indicts Israel, he ceases like, forget about my standards and my statutes, which, by the way, you should have known anyway. But you guys haven't even lived up to a basic standard of human decency. You frame the innocent. You trample on the poor. You deny them justice. You're practicing sexual immorality in a way that even the pagans think is gross. You not only ignored my priests and prophets when I sent them to you, but you corrupted them. You told the Nazarites, ah, you better drink. And then you told the prophets, ah, why don't you put a sock in it? We don't want to hear that kind of stuff. And God says, so hey, here's where we're at. I am done defending you. I am done giving you a second and third and 64th chance because you're not listening. And so you're going to lose what you have. You are going to experience being conquered and taken away into exile. And as we study this, we'll see that there's more to this story. And Israel maybe has some line of defense. We'll take a look at that a little more closely next week. But at this point, I think it's important for us to maybe put ourselves in this story. To bring it up from the past into the present and recognize that we kind of have a lot in common with Israel. I mean, these weren't the worst of the worst. They thought their neighbors were doing the worst things. These were religious people. These were people who worshipped regularly. They knew how to pray. They knew the name of the Lord, and they used the name Yahweh. They were wealthy people. They had a lot of freedom, and they did as they pleased. If you ask them how their relationship with the Lord was, they probably would have said, it's good. We're doing okay. Like God's our God and we're his people and we're, you know, we're all doing what we said we would do. So I wonder, as we study this this morning, how many of us might be surprised in the same way if we receive similar feedback from the Lord? We might even be a little offended by it. Like, what do you mean? God, I, I, we're, we're your most faithful people. We're the people who bothered to show up for church this morning, which is more than I can say for some. We're the people who are reading our prayer emails. We're the people who are taking you seriously. We're reading and studying our Bibles. We are seeking you, aren't we, God? We give money. We pray. We sing. We have to sit through some long, long sermons some of the time. God, didn't we prophesy in your name? 
and in your name drive out demons, and Lord, in your name perform many miracles? That sounds familiar, right? This is from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus hears that. He says, well, then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He goes on to say, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, puts them in their binder, is... Oh, wait, that's not what it says. I read it wrong. Let me go back. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus talking, everyone who hears these words of mine, puts them on a bumper sticker, sticks it on the back of their car. Wait, that's not what it says either. I'll go back and I'll read it again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and remembers it and memorizes it and talks about it sometimes, nope, that's not what it says either. Stop messing around, Jacob. Read it right this time. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house too, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who... Sorry, when I stick my hand out like this, that means you say the part that comes next. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who... Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You guys sounded really begrudgingly when you said that. Like, does? Okay, sorry, Jacob. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Here is the biggest problem with what was going on in Israel during Amos' time. They knew God's will. They knew God's word. They had heard it. They were not putting it into practice. Their lives did not reflect Yahweh's heart for the poor and the widow and the orphan and the stranger. And they didn't care the way that he did about justice and righteousness and faithfulness and neighborliness. And God noticed. He's calling them out on it. Maybe it was a blind spot for them because, again, they thought that they were doing okay. They were bringing their tithes and they were bringing their worship and they said the right things and showed up at the right times. God said, you are missing something. Our buddy Darren McRandall often says, we don't know what we don't know. And that's one of those profound statements. You've got to go like, yeah, it's true, man, we don't. <laughs> it's so simple at the same time. And sometimes when I've prayed with our sister Ann Butler, you'll hear her say things like, Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our sins, the ones that we know about and also the ones that we don't know that we did. So maybe a good question for us as God's people this morning is, do we want to know what we don't know? Are we interested in hearing some things that may be blind spots for us? Are we in a place where we can hear some feedback? And if so, are we willing to receive it and willing to do something different if we are called to do that? And that's a serious question. And it's a hard question, and after what we've just read, you might be thinking, well, no, I'm not in a place to hear that if it's going to sound like what we just heard. I don't feel like I deserve that, and I don't think I want to receive that. 
And maybe that's a fair response. Keep a couple things about God in mind at this point. One, God's discipline is an expression of God's love. That's something we have to trust. That's something we have to remind ourselves of. Let's go back and listen to our old buddy Proverbs for a minute. Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Okay, so that's the first thing. God's discipline is an expression of his love. And the second thing is that even though Israel is going to have to face punishment for the things, the way that God describes it, God is still going to redeem God's people. God is a redeemer. That's something that we have to keep in mind. And I'm sorry if I just ruined the ending of Amos for you. If you don't like to know the ends of things, maybe you can go and read it on your own. But this is how it ends. There's chapter after chapter after chapter of some harsh truths that Israel has to face. But if you go to the very end, the last five verses, there's this hope. And there's this reminder that, like, yes, there's going to be some hard times. Yes, there's going to be some consequences. But I'm going to bring you through. And I'm going to restore you. That is my, that's what I do. And we know that this is true about God. Because we flip to the end of Amos and we can see God is a God of restoration. We can flip to the Gospels and we can see that God is a God of restoration. He comes near to his people once again in Jesus Christ. The end, this isn't the end of the story for Israel. We see that God conquers sin and death through Jesus Christ. You can flip to the end of Revelation and you can see that God is a God of restoration. Because we get that promise of healing and restoration for those who are in Christ. And my hope when we hear that this morning is that this will give us confidence. This will give us a spirit uh, that we have a safety net, that we know that God won't leave us or forsake us. But what I hope it doesn't do is give us a sense of complacency. Because that was part of Israel's problem. Is they were very comfortable doing things the way that they always did. And so we're going to hear God's feedback, and we'll hear God say, yes, I've prepared a place for you, and yes, I've invited you to the banquet table, and yes, there is eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth for those who are in Christ. But we also need to hear God saying, just like Israel, I have some expectations for my people. My hope and my expectation is that you will be the light of the world. You will be the hands and feet of Jesus. God says, I want you to be conduits of my Holy Spirit's work of blessing in this world. I want you to be what I created you to be. And that is bearer of my image. Bearers of my image. Wherever Christians go, we shine that light of Christ. And people get a glimpse of God by the way we do justice. We do love and forgiveness and neighborliness. And what we hopefully will find as we tune ourselves into what God's will is, is that it shapes everything. Maybe some of our blind spots have to do with our views on social issues. And maybe what we'll discover in this process is that we need God's opinions and God's views on how we should live our lives to influence us more than just what everybody else is doing. Maybe God's heart for forgiveness and hospitality will influence our views on how we treat and love one another. And God's views about covenant faithfulness can shape our understanding of how we're supposed to live in relationships with each other. My hope is that when it comes to God's voice, we take our headphones 
And we don't put them on so that we can cancel God's voice out, but we put them on so we can pipe God's will and God's heart directly into our lives. Some of you guys remember Matt Singer? Raise your, give me a little head nod if you remember Matthew Singer. Yeah, he came here as a teenager. Uh, he lived down the street. He used to come here for youth group all the time. Uh, and then and he, recently he moved away, got married. He's got a son now, so that's why you don't see Matthew anymore. But one Wednesday night, he showed up for church, and he had headphones on. I said, oh, hey, what are you listening to? He said, well, one of my friends challenged me to the 24-hour challenge. I said, well, what's the 24-hour challenge? He said, my friend picked one song, and he says I have to listen to it over and over and over again until the total amount of time I listen to that song is 24 hours. And I went, wow, that is kind of a cruel and unusual thing to ask one of your friends to do. As I think about this, he just he listened to that song over and over and over again. He heard it. He tuned out other things, and this was the one thing that he was tuned into. And I want you to hear that story and maybe be inspired. Not to listen to Matthew's friend's pop song, which that would drive me crazy, but to be the kind of people who say, Lord, we want to be in tune. We want this to be the song that we have on repeat so that your heart and your ways become our heart and our ways. And I want us to start to dream about what would happen if we flooded our lives with hearing and doing God's will like that. How would it transform our church? How would it transform our neighborhoods and our schools and our marriages and our ability to deal with life's curveballs? It's an exciting thing to think about. Okay, I gotta take these off. This is, <laughs> this is really strange. Uh, yeah, so in this, in this series, I hope that we brace ourselves for hearing some things that we may have to, to deal with, some, some harsh things, but let's not forget about God's love and God's will for his people. And let's be inspired instead of intimidated or instead of, ah, no, I, I don't want to hear that, but like, yes, God, this is what we came here for. This is the kind of people that we want to be. We're going to be talking about this more throughout this series and uh, also just a quick word about the restoration initiative. There's a little paragraph down there at the bottom of your newsletter you can take a look at. Um, I've been talking about this. We put this in the newsletter the last few weeks. And we're getting to the point where it started with just a handful of leaders who are kind of listening in on some, some training and some ideas about what it means for Tri-Valley to be a thriving church. And now we're at this point where we want to sort of zoom in on some of the strengths that we have as the body of Christ, just in a very positive and hopeful way. We want to think back on our history and we want to look at our current makeup and say, man, there's a lot of things that God has given us, a lot of tools uh, and, and talents among our people that God can use for his purposes. How can we best gather those and kind of all pull in the same direction? kind of seems sort of up in the air and theoretical. But what's going to start to happen in the next few weeks is that some of the, the leaders from Tri-Valley are going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I want to ask you some interview questions about positive church experiences that you have and, and things that ways that maybe God is equipping you for works of service in his kingdom and in this congregation. So please uh, be excited about that as well, because this is the part where we hear from the whole congregation. And we kind of gather a lot of information and say, okay, you know, what is God directing our attention toward? And how can we be faithful in how we follow and live that out? So more about that in weeks to come. But for now, I'll just say, don't be surprised if somebody says, hey, I'd like to sit down with you for 10 or 15 minutes and just get your thoughts and hear what you have to say. Maybe take some notes along the way. 
I want to invite the praise team to come back up here. We're going to sing this closing song, which is a reminder to us all about what I said earlier, that God is a God who redeems. His hope is not for his people to be crushed like some grain crushes a cart, but his hope, which is demonstrated in his relentless love going after Israel again and again and again and again and again and not giving up on us, is that he is a God who loves, who restores, and who redeems. So I want to invite you now to stand up and sing this with us.